Thank you, Dirk. Good morning. It is a pleasure and a joy to see each of you. If you're out of town visiting or if you're visiting from within uh, the Miami area, we're appreciative of your attendance and hope that um, we'll have a chance to shake your hand, hug your neck, as they say in some parts of the country, and, uh, and you please know that you are always welcome. There's a couple announcements I want to mention before we get into the lesson um, we're going to have two baptisms uh, today uh, from uh, some individuals who attend the Spanish Assembly. And so immediately after the assembly, uh, there will be time for you to greet one another. But then we welcome you to stay and be a part of that uh, baptism experience. And uh, I know it will be encouraging for the individuals that are being baptized. Uh, but if you have to go, um, then uh, there will be that opportunity as well. So we hope that you'll stay and be a part of that baptized a lady uh, last Sunday after the uh, Spanish Assembly, and uh, her picture, I believe, is in the bulletin. So if you see her, uh, her name is Justa, looks like Justa, uh, just a little bit, but it's Justa, uh, but you can pronounce her name and greet her, and uh, she will be grateful for that as well. In two weeks, we're going to uh, begin, uh, in two weeks, we will have our Christmas Eve celebration. And for the next two Sundays, uh, we'll have sermons that will help us think about Jesus' coming and the impact that that has on our lives. And so then on December 23rd in the evening, we're going to have a bilingual Christmas Eve celebration. Uh, this will include our children who are, be, who are currently practicing uh, a couple different songs, uh, bilingual songs to sing. Uh, we will have refreshments, and it will be a time to um, uh, enjoy the, the holidays with our church family. And then that still gives you time on December 24th, which is the traditional Christmas Eve, to do your family traditions and perhaps your Noche Buena and, uh, and all of those different kinds of things. Then the following Sunday, December 30th, will be our last Sunday of the year. Uh, Randy Thomas will be speaking and help us close out the year, and then we will begin the new year with a celebration um, and uh, enjoy a bonfire, hot dogs, movie, and a popcorn on Wednesday evening, January 2nd. I know some of you are already going to be back at work on the 2nd. Some of you might still be off, especially students and uh, anyone affiliated, connected with schools. Uh, and so we're going to begin at 5 o'clock on January 2nd, which is Wednesday afternoon. And then we will enjoy some hot dogs, a bonfire. And then once it gets dark, we'll have a movie and popcorn outside uh, back near the pavilion. And so please put that on your calendar as well. It hasn't made it on the bulletin, but it will. So um, uh, go ahead and save the date. Uh, the purpose statement uh, or declaration of purpose for Sunset is that we are a diverse community learning to follow Jesus. And so, beginning with the first Sunday, which is January 6th in the new year, uh, we're going to start a sermon series uh, based in the Gospel of Mark, and we're calling it Learning to Follow Jesus. One of the emphases that uh, we see in the book of Mark is what does it look like to follow Jesus? And so we're going to be gearing up and thinking about that. So uh, uh, look forward to that with all of you. December 23rd, January 2nd, and then uh, every Sunday uh, in, in between. Uh, today's sermon is the last in our series of... Um, the story of the Bible in 16 verses or 16 texts. And, and it's, it's kind of fitting. We've, for the 16 weeks, been looking at different texts 
We began in Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, and it's fitting that we end the series and we end in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the series. We'll be looking at a text in in Revelation chapter 21 in just a few minutes. You know, when you talk about heaven, oddly enough, and maybe you can relate, oddly enough, people have mixed feelings about heaven. Some are gung-ho for it, and some are, are a bit reserved in their thinking. And perhaps these are some of the reasons. A Sunday school teacher was teaching her class about heaven and asked the children, if I sold my car, my house, had a huge yard sale, gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? Uh, Children said, no. Um, If I vacuumed the church carpets and washed the bathrooms and mowed the grass, would that get me into heaven? The class responded, no. If... um, If I was kind to the poor, gave candy to all the children, and loved my spouse, would that get me into heaven? Children said, no. So, asked the class, what is it I need to do to get into heaven? Five-year-old boy raised his hand, you got to get dead. (laughs) Well, that's part of the process, and that's part of the unpleasantness of heaven that, that some people don't like. The only way to get there is to get dead, and uh, that's not so cool. If you've ever read Mark Twain's uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, you might remember Miss Watson. Miss Watson was kind of a strict old fuddy-duddy. She told Huck Finn about heaven, and then Huck later is thinking about it. She said she was going to live so as to go to the good place. I made up my mind. I shouldn't try for it. But I never said so because it would only make trouble and wouldn't do no good. Now, she said she got a good start, and she went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was to go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. I didn't think much of it, but I never said so. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, no, not by a considerable sight. I I was glad about that because I wanted me and him to be together. Well, perceptions of what heaven are like might discourage others. A well-known preacher said that among his earliest members of church was going and being in a children's choir. He said they dressed up in robes and stood on risers and practiced a lot. He said that as a child, he hated almost every minute of it. He hated putting the robe on, hated to have to stand still for so long and sing the same songs over and over and over. To make matters worse, the choir director told me, if you don't like singing in the choir, you're not going to enjoy heaven at all. So as a child, I thought of heaven as putting on a choir robe, standing on a riser, and singing for all eternity. So I wasn't really excited about going to heaven. Well, when you get right down to it, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about what life will look like in heaven. But there are a few details, and Revelation chapter 21 and then into chapter 22 give some of those details to fill out the picture. But we want to think for the first four verses of Revelation chapter 21 right now. So I'm going to read these from the New Living Translation. You can pull up your version on your device or with your Bible and read along. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. 
Then I saw a new heaven. This is John writing, and this is his vision. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. We'll come back to that in just a minute. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these are gone forever. The word of the Lord. Oops. This short text <clears throat> describes some things that are not going to be in heaven, and it also describes some things that are, and that might help us just to think through what this journey looks like. John describes heaven as a place of the no mores. Now, on January 2nd at our bonfire, you'll have the chance to make some s'mores. Okay? Not to be confused. S'mores are those ooey-gooey combinations of melted chocolate and marshmallow on a graham cracker. Heaven is a place of no mores. And the first no more that there will be is there will be no more sea. Now, for those of us down in South Florida who like the ocean, most people do, not everyone, it's not mandatory. But we thrive with the beach and the water and the boats, the scuba diving, the fishing. And yet in heaven there will be no sea. Which can be a bit disturbing for those of us who love the ocean. But we have to remember that John was writing to people many, many years ago in a culture before uh, scuba diving was invented and before surfing and other kinds of things were invented. And in ancient times, the sea was often used in literature as a symbol for something that was ominous, sinister, and threatening. Because in ancient times, the sea was mostly a place of danger. Most people in the ancient world did not know how to swim. And the sea was a place where the sea monsters, or the Bible describes it as Leviathan, or uh, creatures that seem to be from another world that are continuing to get discovered even today. And you would find the dangers of shipwreck and drowning and disappearing forever. And John was writing on an island where he was separated from his church and his family by an ocean of water. And for him, the idea that there would be no sea communicated that there would be no separation from the people he loved the most. And there would be no threat of danger or drowning or dying. Because if you think of the sea, there are so many forces that are beyond our control at work, and we are at the whim and the mercy of any of those. 
And so for us today, we might translate it in terms of as children growing up, there will be no more divorce in our homes. There will be no more separation of mom and dad and kids. There will be no more orphans separated from parents. There will be no abandoned children. There will be no broken homes because there will be no sea. There will be no separation. And then John says that there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. You know, what would it be like to live in that kind of world? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? A world where there's no more cancer, no colds, no need for flu shots or any vaccinations, no death or dying. No one would ever feel like a rejected, marginalized, second-class citizen, discrimination, prejudice, racism would be no more. Everyone would feel like they belonged and they would be welcomed as if they were the most important person in that place. There would be no more plant closings and people getting laid off and people getting fired. There would be no more fires that destroy homes and property, tornadoes and hurricanes and other challenges to life. There would be no more hunger or war or economic downturns and recessions. The curse that has made life so miserable for so many of us would no longer have its effect. And so John is painting a picture of a place where there's a long list of no mores. But then he also goes on to tell us what will be there. And one of his descriptions is interesting because he describes this new heaven, this holy city coming down from heaven towards us, but coming down out of heaven prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, a wedding is probably one of the most beautiful moments in a family's life. And along with the wedding is the banquet or the reception. And throughout Scripture, heaven has been pictured as a banquet with the finest foods, the choicest drinks, unending supplies of laughter and dancing and joy. This banquet takes place at the wedding of the Lamb. And this lasting, permanent relationship between God and his people will be cemented in a way that no earthly force could ever disrupt. If you listen to modern songs about heaven, it seems a lot of them have that longing for relationship. Go back to Bob Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door. Um... It's about the thoughts of a dying deputy who's realizing he will no longer be able to continue his job as an officer of the law. Losing relationship. 
Led Zeppelin, uh, their well-known song, Stairway to Heaven. Uh, Robert Plant explained that the lyrics were a cynical aside about a woman getting everything she wanted all the time without giving any thought or consideration to anyone else. There's a lady for whom all that glitters is gold. Eric Clapton won a Grammy for his song, Tears in Heaven. And the situation that generated that song was the death of his four-year-old son, Connor, who fell from the 53rd floor of a skyscraper in New York City. And as he thought about the pain that he felt and the tears that had flowed, he looked forward to that time where there would be no tears. Then a song that perhaps you're not as familiar with uh, by the Los Lonely Boys, simply entitled Heaven, <laughs> or How Far Is Heaven? And the guitarist has three brothers that formed a little band from uh, Southwest, and the guitarist Henry Garza wrote the lyrics as a prayer. He said when he was 18, his son died of sudden infant death syndrome. And he's asking this question, how far is heaven? Because he's longing for that space to be close so that he can be with his son someday. Well, heaven is about relationships. It's not about things. And often heaven is painted as this picturesque landscape where you can go off on a mountain or by a babbling brook. But that's not what heaven's about. Heaven is about relationships. It's about a wedding feast. It's about relationships that have been disrupted by things like an ocean that separates. Heaven is about God himself being present and he himself taking the tissue to wipe every tear from our eyes. He himself will ensure that there will be no more pain, nor death, no sorrow. And as we've gone through the text from Genesis to this text in Revelation, we've seen that God has been pursuing humanity, men and women, and has been pursuing every single person who has ever lived with the desire to build that relationship. And on earth, we still have the ocean. And on earth, we still have things that make us cry. And on earth, we have things and situations and relationships that cause us pain. But the promise is that Scripture emphasizes over and over is that once we get to heaven, those pains will be gone. So we want to go. But what do we do while we wait? We can't just decide that tomorrow I want to be there. What do we do while we wait for heaven? Well, as we wait for us to go to heaven, let me suggest that we can be busy about bringing heaven to earth. One of the prayers in the Lord's Prayer Matthew chapter 6, Jesus prays, May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we bring the ethics of heaven 
and the desires of God himself down to earth. And so let me suggest that what we can do while we wait is to begin this life that we will enjoy in heaven. We can allow Jesus' ethic and his spirit to permeate our lives in such a way that we begin to let go of the things that we won't find in heaven. And we begin to adopt the things that will be there. And so following along with what Paul says in in Galatians chapter 5, we let go of rage and revenge and, and resentment. We let go of sexual immorality and impurity and lustful desires. We let go of idolatry and sorcery and hostility and quarreling. We let go of jealousy and outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, and division. We let go of envy and drunkenness and wild parties and other such sins like these. Because those won't be in heaven. And we can begin now to live heaven on earth. And then we also would allow the fruit of the Spirit to work through us even here. So we allow love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control and forgiveness to grow and to flourish. Because that's what the Spirit produces And as much as we can, we would make our lives and the people within our circle of influence a place of no mores. So we would not inflict pain. And we would begin to alleviate suffering. We join with God to wipe away the tears from those who are sorrowful around us. And we allow others to wipe our tears. We commit ourselves to living lives that minimize pain and suffering, regardless of the source. We don't get wrapped up in whose fault it is or what caused the pain and suffering. We begin by living through what the Spirit will produce in heaven. So we're waiting to go to heaven, and as we wait, we do what we can to bring heaven to earth. But it's still a challenge. It's still a bit scary because it's uncharted territory. Mike, can you help me out there? Uh, We're stuck. Just advance one. It'll come up in just a second. This is a statue, whether you like him or not, that's not the point. (laughs) This is a statue to Christopher Columbus. And you can find this statue in the center plaza in Valladolid, Spain. It's put there when he died, uh, after he died in 1506. And, And on the statue on the globe, the round part below, there's a Latin phrase... Non plus ultra, which had been Spain's motto for many, many years. Spain is surrounded by water, much like we are here. And Spain felt like they had already reached the edge of the world, and if you went any further, you would fall off. Back when the flat earth theorists 
were abundant. Well, non plus ultra means no more beyond. There's nothing past this. And they hearkened back to mythology where Hercules himself put the rocks in place for the Strait of Gibraltar. And those rocks were the limit of where civilized man or civilized humanity could go. You go past the rocks or the Strait of Gibraltar, you're on your own because who knows if you'll ever make it back. Non ultra, non plus, plus ultra. But, but if you can see in the lower left-hand corner, there's a lion. And what the lion is doing is with his paw, he's ripping off the word non. And what is left is plus ultra, which means there is more beyond. And that ended up becoming Spain's motto. And if you look at a Spanish flag this afternoon when you pull it up on Google or on your phones, wait till the sermon's over, you will see that plus ultra is on the Spanish flag. And it was their way of saying that, yes, we believe there is something beyond. There is more beyond. Well, for us, death stands as those massive rocks of Gibraltar. And we're afraid and we don't know what's on the other side. And we feel hemmed in by no more beyond. But Jesus has gone through those rocks. He has gone through that strait. And he has passed through death to tell us, yes, there is more beyond. And then John receives this vision from heaven to say, and this is what it looks like. It's beyond your wildest imagination. It's better than you could have ever imagined. And he tries to use imagery to communicate that it's a place that you don't want to miss out on. It's a place of the no mores. The very presence of God and all those who have been faithful to him through the ages. So our desire for each and all of us is that we follow Jesus through that strait of death. We follow Jesus into that place of the land beyond. We can begin preparing now by living the life that he wants, by following him and being baptized and following faithful to his instructions. We can do it by praying for one another and wiping those tears from each other's eyes. And so we'd love to pray with you and for you. And if we can help you in any way on this journey, we'd ask you to make your way to the front as we stand and sing.